Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. This episode is brought to you by Carnivora. Today I'm answering listeners' questions, and I've received some really good ones, and I'm going to try to cover as many as I can today, including the dark side of kale. That's right, kale may not be the superfood we've all been led to believe. Someone asked if it's possible to plant apple seeds from the apples you get at the grocery store to grow your own apple tree. Another listener wants to know if turmeric powder is healthy. My answer may surprise you. One listener asks for my opinion on fish oil supplements. If you're taking them, you may change your mind after I share some vital information that you need to know. What's the difference between carbonated water, club soda, seltzer water, and tonic water? I'll delve into that topic and share which one you should avoid. This and much more. You have questions, I have answers. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Hello, everybody, and thanks for all the questions you've sent in through email and on social media. Remember, if I answer your question on the air, I'll send you a signed copy of my number one best-selling book, Food Sanity, How to Eat in a World of Fads and Fiction. And I'll include my best-selling audiobook, America's Unbalanced Diet. If you have any health-related questions or comments, you can reach me at askthedoctor at toyourgoodhealthradio.com. You can also submit your question on the Food Sanity Forum on Facebook. If you're not a member of this Facebook group, come be part of my culinary conundrum circle of friends. You'll get daily food news you can use and a few healthy laughs along the way. Just search for Food Sanity Forum on Facebook. Okay, let's get started. Our first question comes from Sabrina Duncan from Salem, Oregon. Dear Dr. Friedman, I'm a longtime listener and love your show. I've heard some of your guests say how healthy kale is, helping everything from cancer to extending life. But every time I add kale to a salad, I just don't feel good after. I get bloated and have a stomach ache. Am I missing out by not eating kale? Is there a better way I should eat it? Uh, thanks for the question, Sabrina. Yes, there are many experts. I've had them on the show, and they tout that kale is the king of all food. And this may come as a shock to many of you, but kale is not the super nutritional powerhouse people believe. Research conducted at William Patterson University in New Jersey analyzed 47 types of produce for 17 vital nutrients. And what they did is they ranked them based on their nutrition density scores. They compared all the basic minerals and vitamins, including calcium, potassium, vitamins A, B, D, and E, and with a perfect score being 100, kale only came in at 49. Now, to give you some comparisons, chard came in at a score of 89 out of 100. Spinach was 86. Leaf lettuce got a score of 71. Romaine lettuce, 63. And collard greens came in at 62. Again, kale only came in at 49 out of 100. But it didn't come in last place. That honor goes to iceberg lettuce, which got a score of 18 out of 100. That said, kale is not the super green we've all been led to believe. In addition, eating raw kale can actually be harmful to the gut. It contains an abrasive exterior that kind of acts like a sandpaper as it moves through the colon. So if you have gut issues like irritable bowel, ulcerative colitis, or Crohn's disease, kale can actually be quite destructive. Kale has been actually shown to adversely affect the thyroid gland as well. It contains compounds called pro 
goitrin, which can interfere with thyroid hormone synthesis and basically block out iodine that your thyroid needs to function. Eating too much raw kale can lead to hormonal irregularities, blood sugar issues, weight, and overall metabolic health problems. Another thing to consider is pesticide content. The Environmental Working Group did an analysis of the foods that are most contaminated with pesticides, and guess what was top of the list? Kale. In fact, kale has the highest pesticide residues compared to nearly all other produce found at supermarket shelves in the United States. Also, 60% of the kale samples tested positive for Dactol, which is listed as a Group C human carcinogen, according to the National Library of Medicine. That means it may cause cancer, not the superfood we've been led to believe. Kale also contains a sugar called raffinose, which is hard for us to break down. We lack the enzyme to digest this sugar, and after it passes through, it gets to the large intestine still intact. And what happens is from there it ferments by our gut bacteria, and this can cause methane and carbon dioxide buildup, which could be another reason. You mentioned you experience bloating and gas. That could be the reason after you consume kale. Many people add kale to their smoothies every day, and you know, that's actually not a good idea. Raw kale contains oxalic acid, which binds the minerals such as calcium, magnesium in the body. And what that does is it causes them to crystallize. And these crystals can damage tissues, cause inflammation in the body and kidney stones. So a daily dose of raw kale in your smoothie isn't the best idea. But if you absolutely feel you just got to have kale in your diet, you're better off eating it cooked than you are raw and be sure to clean your kale and get rid of the pesticides and that harsh external residue the best way to do this is to get some warm water squeeze in a little lemon and then soak all the kale leaves for about 10 minutes then you want to use a veggie brush on each piece and this is going to remove a lot of the fibrous exterior and those pesticides then you want to dump the kale into the colander and thoroughly rinse the leaves with cold water All right, let me say for the record, I'm not saying kale doesn't have healthful benefits. I'm not anti-kale. While it doesn't offer the nutrition that other greens do, having kale occasionally is not a bad thing. Okay, our next question comes from Charlena Minder from Huntington Beach, California. She posted her question on the Food Sanity Forum. Charlena asks, will the seeds of an apple grow and produce how about uh, everybody uh, and and let's see and about how everyone saves avocado seeds to grow too? Will they actually produce? Great question, Charlene. You know the first one about apples. Unfortunately, it's not possible to take the seeds from an apple you get at the store plant them and grow trees that yield the same type of apples. Most apple trees, they're not self-fertile. That means they need a different apple tree blooming nearby at the same time to pollinate the blossoms to become the fruit. For example, if you had a Honeycrisp apple tree, for example, you would need a different apple variety, like a Gala apple tree that's nearby so it would pollinate and thanks to bees and the wind the male flower from one tree will pollinate the female parts of the flowers of the other tree and so the best way to propagate apples is through something called grafting and this is when you make a special cut on the rootstock tree and a branch from the desired variety is placed into the cut and
and the tree will grow up then to produce apples from that grafted variety. As for your question about avocados, yes, you can start avocado trees from pits. I've done it myself using that well-known toothpick and water technique. However, while trees started from pits will produce avocados, grafted trees are going to produce fruit much sooner, and generally they're going to be better quality than those that you start from a pit in your kitchen. Thanks for the question. Next we go to Ann Rutherford from... Frederick, Maryland, and uh, see, Ann writes, Dr. Friedman, I hope you can help. I always gain weight over the holidays, no matter what I do. It's an annual cycle. I'm diligent the rest of the year, gain it, and then work the next three to six months getting the weight off. Why? And great question. Uh, it's probably, I have a feeling the majority of people listening have the same question, so thanks for asking. You know, from Thanksgiving until January 1st, the average person will gain between 8 and 12 pounds. And there's several factors for this. It starts with Thanksgiving meal. Americans consume an average of 3,250 calories and 170 grams of fat on Thanksgiving Day. Then what happens? We jump right into the Christmas season that next week. And, of course, you got then the holiday snacks and the cookies and the candies, the fattening eggnog and all the other stuff. Even for those that eat healthfully, I'll tell you, it's hard to reject eating that holiday brownie that somebody brings to work. So we eat more junk and that's the gist there. And another contributing factor is we're sleep deprived, which is quite common during the holidays. And as I share in my book, Food Sanity, a lack of deep restorative sleep can lead to a weight gain. Also during the holidays, we exercise less. In fact, November and December has the least number of visits to a gym than any other time of the year. And of course, January is the month we see the most gym memberships from people trying to lose all that holiday weight frustrated like you are. Another thing to consider is stress. The holidays can be a stressful time for a lot of people. And with stress comes an increase in cortisol levels, which produces belly fat. Also in the winter, humans tend to accumulate fat then. You know, it's, it's the body's innate process of trying to keep us warmer. In the hotter months, we sweat more and our body doesn't produce as much fat. So, and my suggestion is to start a food journal from November through February. And sometimes actually when you write down and document what you've eaten and you see all the fats, the sugars, and the carbs on paper or on your cell phone, you're less likely to continue this eating trend. All right, our next question is from Mark Delorado from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He asks, Dr. Friedman, a good friend of mine takes turmeric powder. I've read about the many health benefits, including anti-inflammatory, natural painkiller, antioxidant, the list goes on and on. Can you shed any light on this product? Is it something I should take? Great question, Mark. You know, turmeric, it's touted as it's this being this powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant supplement or spice, but actually turmeric isn't worthy of all these wonderful kudos. The truth is, it's just a spice that gives curry its yellow color. You know, the healthful properties of turmeric are from a compound called curcumin. Unfortunately, the curcumin content that's in turmeric is only about 3%. And all the positive studies I've looked into on turmeric and the best you know, effects for it were dosages exceeding one gram per day. And it would be very difficult to reach these levels using turmeric as a spice on your food or even in a supplement form. However, you can get the full beneficial effects from a curcumin supplement. That's what I recommend. You want to make sure it has piperin. It's a natural black pepper substance that enhances curcumin absorption. Curcumin supplements can be found in liquid extract powder or capsule form. 
Thanks for the question, Mark. Next, we go to Nancy Alvarez from Michigan. I have been experiencing brain fog. I forget things and seem to be living in a cloud. Is there anything I can eat that might improve my memory? Nancy, this is the third time you've asked me this question. I've shared with you three times now on this show what you can do to improve your memory. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) You've not asked this question before, or have you? I I don't remember. Maybe I need to answer my own question. Anyway, yes, there are actually some great proactive things you can do to improve your memory. One thing is snack on walnuts. They're actually high in healthy kind of fat called the omega-3 fatty acids, which supports brain health. Walnuts are also really good, healthy for the brain. They look so much like the brain as well. So, you know, if you look at a walnut, they look like the brain. In fact, when I taught neurology, one day I actually used a picture of a walnut to teach the lobes of the cerebrum. And you know what? My students didn't even realize it till the end of the class. That's how closely it looks like the brain. And there was a study last year published by the Journal of Nutrition that showed that walnuts improve the gut microbiome, which is the collection of trillions of microbes and bacteria in the gastrointestinal tract. These microbes help control our hormones, emotions, mood, memory, and even our decision-making. Hence the term, what's your gut instinct telling you? The gut is often referred to as the second brain because it has its own enteric nervous system that works independently of our cerebrum. And current research suggests Alzheimer's disease could be related to inflammation in the gut. So our memory issues that we have, I'm guilty as well, could be from the gut being episodic. And a dysfunctional gut can definitely be causing that brain fog you're talking about. A few other foods that are healing to the gut are fermented foods like kimchi, miso, sauerkraut, and kombucha tea. And can't forget my favorite, blueberries. Research shows that eating two cups of blueberries per week can boost your memory power by 25%. And before I go to the next question, I want to remind everyone that today's episode is being brought to you by Carnivora. You know, for two decades now, I've interviewed experts with the hopes of bringing optimal health to you, my listeners, but unfortunately, that's not what's happening. Most guests come on here and they contradict the previous expert, leaving everyone, including me, more confused. Some say we should count calories. Others tell us to follow a keto diet. And of course, there's the paleo versus plant-based diet debate. We're told to turn left, no turn right. But there's one thing that almost every expert agrees reason inflammation is the root cause of all disease even a lack of energy or difficulty sleeping could be from internal inflammation this is why i'm excited to share a wonderful product that i take to keep my immune system and inflammation in check it's called carnivora made from extracts of the venus flytrap this plant-based nutritional powerhouse contains 17 naturally occurring compounds that helps lower inflammation and support a healthy immune system if you want to decrease inflammation and boost your immune system, order Carnivora today at Carnivora.com. Say goodbye to internal inflammation. Boost your immune system and start living the healthy life that you deserve. Carnivora.com. All right, we go to Ronald Switzer, South Bend, Indiana. Ron asks, what's your opinion on fish oil supplements? I've heard pros and I've heard cons. Uh, this is a great question. I'm going to go uh, dive a little deeper into this answer because I think this is important. You know, fish oil, it's sold out there as this great source of omega-3 fatty acids, which protects the heart, lowers cholesterol, 
eases inflammation. It's been touted to help uh, improve memory and extends lifespan. In my book, Food Sanity, I actually looked at all the pros and the cons of fish oil to get to the bottom of whether we should be taking it. And first, I looked at the research. And in 2009, the New England Journal of Medicine reported that fish oil supplements did nothing to reduce heart attacks or strokes. And then in 2013, the Journal of National Cancer Institute published research showing that men who take fish oil supplements have a 71% increased risk of having aggressive prostate cancer. Then last year, the New England Journal of Medicine released findings of a very large randomized studies on the efficacy of fish oil supplements. And after they analyzed 25,871 participants. That's a big study. They concluded fish oil supplements did not result in lower incidence of cardiovascular events or cancer than the placebo sugar pill. Unfortunately, most of the fish oil brands on the market contain undisclosed high levels of what's called PCBs, also known as polychlorinated biophenols, These are highly toxic industrial compounds, folks. In fact, a lawsuit in California named eight of the largest fish oil producers and retailers in the country as having these dangerous PCBs in their product, including CVS, GNC, and Rite Aid were named in this this case. In addition to the uh, cancerous PCBs, another concern is the instability of fish oil. From extraction to the time it gets placed in the bottle, fish oil is exposed to oxygen, light, and heat, all which cause that oil to oxidize and break down. This causes the fish oil to go rancid. And when fish oil rots, it can put consumers at risk for heart disease and other chronic diseases instead of preventing them. After fish oil is extracted, what happens is it begins to rot within a couple of days, even though you may see on the label where it says, oh, it's safe to consume for three years. No, it's just a couple of days. And an easy way of telling whether or not your fish oil supplement is rancid is to cut your gel cap in half and put the oil on a piece of paper. If it looks creamy, yellow, or let's say it has a brownish tint, it's rancid. Don't take it. Good pharmaceutical-grade fish oil is clear like water. It should look like water. Also, rancid fish oil smells and gives you those fishy burp smells when you burp. And these supplements, I think they should be sold next to Listerine. That's how bad they are. If you do choose to take a fish oil supplement, look at the label and go with brands that include D-gamma or D-delta forms of tocopherols, which is vitamin E. This prevents harmful oxidation and decreases rancidity. I had the privilege of interviewing Dr. Barry Sears on the show, and he's the creator of the Zone series of books, which and he's basically considered the nation's leading authority on omega fatty acids. He began and pioneered it before people even knew what fish oil was on the market. And he shared with my listeners, most of the fish oil supplements sold on the market are so bad, he actually referred to them as the sewage of the sea. That's a direct quote. And he said this means that it's rich in things like PCBs, which he said... I love the analogy, acts like a roach motel. When they check into your body, they don't check out. And fish oil can contain neurotoxins, carcinogens, and endocrine disruptors. Doesn't sound like a great supplement to me. Uh, Even though taking a pure, high-quality fish oil supplement may have some health benefits, I personally have never taken fish oil, nor have I recommended it to my patients. If you don't get enough omega-3 from eating fish and you want to take a supplement, why not get your omega-3 from the same place that fish do? Krill. These are small shrimp or prawn-like creatures that contain the omega-3 fatty acids that fish eat. 
So salmon eat krill, which gives them their omega-3 and their rich reddish-orange color. So go to the source. Get krill supplements. If you're a vegetarian, of course, you don't want krill. And the best source for your omega-3 fatty acids is flaxseed oil. Another alternative and my personal favorite vegetarian source of healthy essential fatty acids is called sea buckthorn berries. And the sea buckthorn plant produces berries that offer powerful anti-inflammatory, cancer-preventative, cardiovascular, and liver support properties. So there's your answer. Thank you, Ronald, for sending in that great question. This next one is from Brenda Robbins from Atlanta, Georgia. Dear Dr. Friedman, I love oatmeal, but lately I've heard that oats are bad for you. What's your opinion on oatmeal? You know, uh, Brenda, my grandma used to make me a bowl of oatmeal for breakfast and would tell me how healthy it was for me, and for decades, science proved her right. Oats have been shown to help lower cholesterol, balance blood sugar, and reduce the risk of heart attacks. But that all changed when the paleo diet came along telling us that all grains are bad and unhealthy and you should get off of them because our cavemen ancestors didn't eat them, so we shouldn't either. Well, in my book, Food Sanity, I explore forensic evidence on what our ancestors really ate. And spoiler alert, their diet included grains. The University of Utah shared forensic evidence showing remnants of grains between the teeth of cavemen three and a half million years ago. In fact, their diet was 40% grains. I'm a big fan of steel-cut oatmeal, also known as Irish oatmeal. Don't go with these instant oatmeal brands because they're overly processed, they're pre-cooked, they're dried, then they're rolled, and then they're toasted. Steel-cut oats, because they're the closest to the original grain form, are the healthier option. And don't let this diet trend scare you away from eating this healthful meal. I have still cut oatmeal with blueberries for breakfast three times a week. Love it. Don't give up your oatmeal. All right. Uh, this is from Randy Glassberg, Seattle, Washington. Dr. Friedman, what's the difference between carbonated water, club soda, seltzer water, and tonic water? Oh, great questions. Uh, yeah, well, seltzer, club soda, and tonic, pretty much they all fall into the carbonated water category. So that's carbonated water. Of the three, seltzer is the simplest. It's just basically water that's been infused with carbon dioxide gas to give it its fizz. Club soda is slightly different. In addition to the carbonation, some salt or potassium salts have been added. Tonic water falls more into the soda family because it's often carbonated and sweetened. Tonic water contains about 124 calories per 12-ounce serving. It's about 75% of the calories of a 12-ounce can of Coke. So, out of the carbonated water family, tonic water can be the least healthful. So, I wouldn't go with tonic water. And to confuse you even more, you forgot one, there's mineral water. And this form of water is derived from springs that are carbonated by nature. Good stuff. If you enjoy a little fizz, carbonated water is perfectly fine. In fact, I get many of my cola-loving patients off sodas by having them make their own using seltzer water. So, for example, if you're a Sprite lover, squeeze some lime and lemons into your seltzer water with a little bit of monk fruit and natural sweetener. And guess what? You just made homemade Sprite. It's delicious. For cola lovers, get seltzer water and splash or you know, a little bit of prune juice or maybe some date paste and add some monk fruit or stevia. And you've made low-calorie cola. Tastes like cola. 
or mix it up a little bit and add some berries. You know, the key is flavoring it for you so you enjoy the beverage and you get your needed daily water. So many people don't drink enough water and this can lead to all types of health issues like memory loss, fatigue, high blood pressure, constipation, and even makes you more prone to cancer. Water is so important. So whether it has some fizz or not, drink more water, folks. It's important. Rule of thumb is drink half your body weight in ounces. So if someone weighs 150 pounds, they should be drinking 75 ounces of water per day. Cut your body weight in half and drink that in ounces per day. All right, we have time for one more question. This one is from Colleen Osborne from Wilmington, North Carolina. What is your opinion on drinking super green smoothies versus adding liquid chlorophyll to water, which is more beneficial? Very unique question, Colleen. Well, first of all, chlorophyll is what makes plants green and healthy. It's a rich source of vitamin A, C, E, and K, and a bunch of antioxidants and minerals like magnesium, iron, calcium. It's got it all. It's great. In fact, in my book, Food Sanity, I cover the amazing health benefits of chlorophyll, and I also show a diagram of its chemical composition, and chlorophyll is almost identical to human hemoglobin. And this is why it's considered a great blood purifier. It looks like blood, among so many other benefits. And I had so much so I really delve into that in my book. But chlorophylls, you know, it's great. It, so many things. It also combats bad breath. This is actually where chlorets, the breath mints, that's where they get their name from. Chlorets, gum, and breath mints contain chlorophyll. That's where they get the C-L-O-R-E on it. And that's why it's so effective at eliminating mouth or odors. Uh, your question is, which is healthier, adding chlorophyll to water or drinking super green smoothies? Keep in mind, plants wouldn't be considered super, quote, green if it weren't for chlorophyll. That's why they're green. In fact, 80% of broccoli is chlorophyll. 70% of wheatgrass is chlorophyll. Chlorophyll is also found in things not in the veggie family. The green you see in kiwis and pistachio nuts, that's chlorophyll. That's the green. So it's everywhere. And really, it comes down to the choice of, of either mixing in some diversity of nutrients into your smoothie with various super greens or consuming the plant life force, the blood, basically, of the plant called chlorophyll. I personally recommend alternating. I can't give you my favorite. I think you should do the best of both worlds, so alternate back and forth. Both are good. All right, uh, that concludes another segment of Ask the Doctor. Thanks, everybody, for all the wonderful questions that you've sent in. If you have a question that you'd like me to answer, email me at askthedoctor at To Your Good Health Radio. If I answer yours on the air, I'm going to give you a signed copy of my award-winning number one best-selling book, Food Sanity, How to Eat in a World of Fads and Fiction. I'll also include my audio audiobook, America's Unbalanced Diet. If you want to stay up to date with my latest articles, videos, and podcasts, go to drdavidfriedman.com. And while there, be sure and sign up for my free newsletter. You'll get all the latest health news you can use sent directly to your inbox. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard me share something today that could benefit someone you know, send them a link to this podcast available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com and check Check out our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. This stuff's too good to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.